Oh, you're already going? We're rolling. Have you been doing much talking today? I haven't. Nope. You're this not really all warm up. Oh, my, this is your warm up. Okay. My stretching exercises and my first cup of coffee. Okay. Well, that means we have to be extra energetic here. I'm Garrett McQueen. I'm Scott Blankenship. <laughs> no, not like that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Scott Blankenship. And this is Triloquy. <laughs> True and real stories from the fringes of classical music. All right. So now that we're getting our um, our voices and all that stuff warmed up. Um, I'd like to talk a little bit about who we're um, who we're featuring today. His name is Devon, a friend of yours. Devon Russell Gray. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And wait, this is another red letter day for you because you actually lead the interview. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was. How how was it? Uh, how was it for you doing this for the first time for this podcast? I haven't done a long form interview in more than a year. Mm. And I found out very quickly that it is one thing to ask somebody a question that puts their art or their music in the best possible light. Sure. And it is yet another one to be a white man asking a black man, do you feel comfortable in a concert hall? What does your blackness sound like in music? You know, it was very vulnerable. And what, where does that discomfort uh, come from for you? Years of not bringing up these topics. Yeah. And that's why this podcast is so important, because those people have always existed, right? We've yeah. always been here. Yeah. We just haven't been in the conversation, certainly not at the front of the conversation. Um, and I sat there thinking, I really should have <laughs> put a little more effort in the way I phrased the questions. I, I felt like I felt simple in yeah. some in some instances, but I think that there's a lot of people that, like we said, don't have any experience in having these conversations. And this is what it sounds like. Well, didn't so. our friend Aaron Copeland uh, say, "'Tis a gift to be simple"? I guess he didn't originally <laughs> say that, but the Shakers. One, one of the many things he stole in his career. But that's another conversation. Um, okay. So, so let's uh, so let's paint the picture of um, of where Devon comes from. So, first of all, um, I should mention that this episode, this opus of Triloquy, is going to be formed in the style of a rondo. Can you can you speak to a rondo of uh, in your in your music theory uh, talk? <laughs> all in my 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 deep bench of yeah. music terminology. Um, all I know is that it's something that is like peppier and upbeat. Right. Yeah. Well, it it actually doesn't have much to do with the uh, the feel of the music as much as it has to do with the form of the music. Okay. So, so let, illuminate me. So, uh, so a rondo, in its very basic terms, is a piece of music with an A section followed by a B section, with a return to that A section followed by a C section. Uh, uh, no, uh, you know that sounds weird. Anyway, y'all know what I'm talking about. Followed by the A section. Sometimes followed by like a D section, if not back to the B section, followed by the A section. Okay, so um, so there's a form, is the, what you're saying. There, there's a form. Uh, the the way I like to explain it, sometimes I use the uh, metaphor of a shish kebab. So the main part of a really good shish kebab is the meat, right? Mm -hmm. So pick so picture your skewer. You put a piece of meat on there, and then what goes next? Maybe a piece of bell pepper or some other vegetable or whatever. But then next, you have to put another piece of meat, and then after that, maybe this time a mushroom goes there or a different color bell pepper. But you're always returning back to that. 
meat, right? Well, so, thank you for using a grill reference. I get that. Yeah, yeah, and 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 you're good <laughs> at the grill. So so that's so that's what this obus of triloquy is is basically how we're gonna do it. There were you know there were so many excellent uh, points of conversation that you got to with Devon. Um, such a long conversation that um, I thought it might be best if we sort of broke it down and uh, and pinpointed a few of those. So Scott, you and I are going to be the A section okay. and the different conversations um, between you and Devon are going to be the B section. So how about we jump into this first B section, uh, which I think um, Devon basically just introduces himself and you guys get warmed up and uh, he, he paints the picture of who he is and why he is and what he is and everything else. Okay, so this is your first bit of protein with Devon we're, Russell Gray. We're the we're the protein. Oh, I'm so okay. All right. So um in this <laughs> or one fine. or 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 he can be the protein. The point is we're going back and forth. Let's do that. Okay. okay here we so go. here's section one or uh the hunk of pineapple. Yeah. You know, we don't we gotta do better. We don't see each other very much at all except for Facebook. I thought for a long time it was because of your, the hours you kept but that's not that's not a good excuse either. No, because I don't keep hours. <laughs> You're on call. I am. But I do get to uh, keep up with you through your Facebook page. And I was looking through there just a, a day or two ago. You had posted a story from The Guardian. Mm-hmm. Pale, male, and stale. Does modern classical music have a gender problem? So um, the story was about some sort of a compilation album that was being put together, and there was two women mm-hmm. on the compilation where there was obviously loads of qualified composers to be included in that. Talk a little bit about your, th- you're a multi-instrumentalist and a composer of modern music. So what were your thoughts when you went through that article? Uh, sad contemporary truth where that's, that's just what we're dealing with now is a lack of equality and equity in the classical music world. It's still 99% dead white men. And mm-hmm. we know that there's so much more out there. Just saw uh, another article the other day that's saying 500 plus operas by women. So why are we both still? We don't need more Puccini. Right. Well, I was going to ask if you thought that that also applied just across orchestral music. I mean, uh, is how how pronounced is it for you? It's it's very pronounced, uh, especially now that my. My friends and peers and colleagues are diverse as hell. I, I want all the programs to be that as well. Mm-hmm. And we've got some flagship groups like L.A. Phil that are doing some lovely things. We've got groups that are all black, like Sphinx Organization and Shanique Foundation in, in London that are doing great things. But that's because they need to, because no one, these other hallowed institutions aren't changing fast enough with the times mm-hmm. and we're tired of that um you also shared the article that uh garrett put out about it's time for classical music to die so i wanted to find out your hot take on <laughs> nabal masood's uh article about um well gosh she covered a lot of ground mm-hmm. there's colonization there's tokenization um, making change from the inside. And I think that that's a pertinent question because now you are a composer in residence with the Schubert Club, a two-year assignment. So how are you going to use that power for good? What makes you think I'm going to use that power for good? <laughs> <laughs> I, 
I guess I shouldn't have made that assumption. Yeah, yeah, please don't. All right. Uh, I, it's our Minnesota's oldest classical music organization, so that... Rachmaninoff played it. That, that carries so much weight. Uh, but, you know, I'm, I'm going to be 40 on my next birthday, and I've been in this game most of my life. I've, I've always I've, I claimed classical music from day two. Gospel came first, but then classical was right behind the, right behind, and it's it's always been a, I've always had to push back from friends and family in the community saying, why do you do that? Why are you wasting your time on this stuff? And 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 why does it have equal measure to the R and B or the soul music or the hip hop? Mm-hmm. And I like to quote Ellington, who says there are two types of music: good music and the other stuff. So for me, it's always going to be uh, breaking down walls, stop trying to pigeonhole me. I don't give a damn about your genre classifications. Classical is, that term doesn't mean anything to me. Uh, it, and, and it never has. It, it, was a, it was a period of time. Mm-hmm. And some great work happened during the classical era, but it's just been a misnomer ever since. It's uh, Western art music. I don't like that term either. Concert music. So again, I... I leave the terminology to other people. For me, it's just, it's either good music or it's not good music. Yeah. Uh, it's an orchestra, which we'll get to that too, but that's also a problematic institution, a monolith that hasn't changed fast enough with the times. Okay, time yeah, for uh, another piece of... Y'all, y'all jumped right in there, okay? Mm-hmm. There are several things. You said keep it trill. Yeah. So <laughs> I, that that's what, well, Gary wants me to keep it trill, so I, mean, I got to... Think about the think about the last thing we just heard him say. The orchestra is one of one of these monoliths that that hasn't changed and hasn't changed quick enough. There's nothing incorrect about that statement. The the, the way nope. the whole orchestra experience looks and feels hasn't changed in in so long. Uh, agreed. And you know we we talk later on about how uh, it's frustrating for me to think that that is happening that you know he that him and and other people of color people of the lgbtq community don't feel welcome in this space i mean and and you know those sorts of identity politics aside when you look on the stage and you see the musicians you know we're up the men are up there in in tails right you know we we, we're addressed basically as fancy as our uh, our western society can um so folks in the audience, you know, when when people would want to come to uh, concerts, they'd always be like, well, what should I wear? I don't know if I have anything. And I always tell them, wear, wear what you want. You know, that's just that's one tiny example of how the concert hall and the concert hall experience can be opened up to be more inclusive and, and more equitable. And, and I'm using that word because it's a. It's a, a phrase that Devon uh, brought up, equality versus and equity. equity. Well, you've been talking about that since Opus One, though. I mean, right. that's a familiar that's familiar terminology to follow one another. Right. I mean, let's talk. I, I can I'll, I'll give you a hot take, a, a true hot take when we cut off the mics. But but, but, <laughs> but but my classical music way of explaining the difference between equality and equity, equality would be. For for orchestras, for for uh, radio, uh, classical radio, for for all of these classical institutions to only play black music for the next oh 
four or five hundred years, you know, mm-hmm. then we'll be equal. We'll right. be equal then. And e- equity. Equity is putting a focus on it in that so that it's included in in a way that's fair and it's in the conversation and people hear it and, and people know it's there. That's equity. So sometimes equity doesn't look like equality. It doesn't look equal. But but that's that's what we have to do to you know to to catch up with all this all this time and all this music that 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 we've spent um, so many decades and and so many centuries not focusing on and for all intents and purposes ignoring. So having the tools in order to be successful in whatever you choose that falls under equity then. Right. Okay. Right. Got right. It. All right. Um, for for me anyway, um, another thing that Devon said that that Scott I wanted to talk about just a little bit. Um, sorry, my chair squeaked there. Um, Do it again. You know, <laughs> he talked about his family. Well, first of all, he said the gospel came first mm-hmm. and then instrumental music. And I feel like that's something that uh, so many people of color, specifically black people, have in common is that the first music we were hearing was was that church music were those spirituals, were mm-hmm. those hymns or or whatever. And then when his parents ask him, well, why why this sort of music? Why is this uh, music more important than the soul and the R&B and w- whatever that that we live with? And what I instantly thought thought about was pathways toward professions in in those fields. So we're back so, to access, right? So when so when a fourth grader or a fifth grader, you know, joins the band, they aren't joining an ensemble that focuses on those styles of music. They're, right. They're joining an ensemble that, if they stick with it, will lead them eventually toward the quote unquote classical music of of the concert hall stages. What if we lived in a world where, in fourth grade, you could begin to learn how to um, produce beats for rap or you began to learn how to be a songwriter for, you know, blues or soul or whatever. You know, that's that's another part of that equity piece that's missing in music education. And we we aren't here to talk about that this week. But um, but I, I just thought he brought up he made me think of a, a great point when, mm-hmm. when, you know, when he brought up the fact that his family was was asking those sorts of questions. Yeah. And uh, I think that um, what it's going to take for what you just mentioned, I mean, it's going to be hard for a kid in fourth grade to think about beats when, if they have a music teacher, it's on Thursdays at two for 40 minutes or something like sure. that. It's just a very small amount of time that a lot of these schools have for music. But think about that fourth grader understanding the purpose of, of that education sure. and the purpose of that music. You know, I, I think that in itself m- makes it much easier for, for, for that to happen. Yeah. Anyway, so let's uh, jump back in and see what else y'all had to talk about. In this segment, he talks about the hip-hop band that he's in with several Central High School classmates. It's called High Respects. And they uh, that's how I actually first met Devon. I first saw him on stage for what they call the High Respects Scholarship Show, which happens annually at Central High School. You've been on MTV with High Respects, right? Wasn't Fives released? <laughs> Yeah, we've had some some good placements over the years. Yeah. I think it was an episode of uh, uh, Puffy's making the band, <laughs> <laughs> which I just saw is coming back, and I'm kind of excited about that because that dude's a nut. But but he makes good TV, mm-hmm. and he makes some some of the good music. And the scholarship recipient, what do they get? It's open to anyone who can tie their their next stage after high school to the arts. We want to see that you've been involved in the arts and that what you're going to be doing after high school 
is going to be a continuation of that. So it's open to, to, to writers, to photographers, to videographers, to rappers, to musicians, basically anyone. And that's been happening 10 years now? 10 years now, yeah. Did you do something special for the 10th? Because that was just a couple months ago, wasn't it? No, we don't do special things. No? We just, just everyone is a banger? Maintain, yeah. All right, yeah. Um, the place was coming unglued, the, the one that I saw. There was people up in the front <laughs> row jumping around. I thought, man, this is the real deal. And Connie and Kyle Cisco is who gave me the introduction, you know. So I felt like, man, I'm, I am gonna meet the band. <laughs> when you came over for dinner, I thought, oh man, some, somebody from High Respects is gonna be in my house. You're kidding. Yeah, I was moved. Thank you so much. Yeah. Um, you went to Eastman School of Music or Northeastern New England Conservatory. New England Conservatory. That's right. Um, I rejected my acceptance to Eastman because it's in Rochester. And what's wrong with Rochester? More of Minnesota cold and <laughs> winter. So I was like, I would like a little, something a little more mild. And was it? Yeah, Boston winters are nothing. Cake. So uh, what about the school over Eastman? How did the school shake loose uh, compared to what Eastman's all about? <laughs> uh, Boston treated me really well. Uh, there's a long time where I used to talk about the classical music bubble where um, there's there's like this this protection that happens. A lot of my friends, a lot of my black friends who ended up going to schools in Boston around the same time as me hated that town because of the, the rampant racism and segregation. Yeah. And I was like, really? Because I'm not I'm not seeing or feeling much of that. But again, there's this there's this there's uh, this welcoming that happens when you're part of the class, again, that, that word, the classical community. If so, you can play, if you can bring it, that's all people really care about. How do you refer to it then? Just, I mean, do you just say music? What, I say uh, music. Other people push back and want to know more about it. And they always ask, so what, what, do, what do you sound like? What, what is your music? What's your genre? Who is it? I don't know. Okay. Um, the hip hop stuff that you play with high respects, mm -hmm. your uh, classically trained uh, bassoon and keyboard, um, how do they inform one another? Because your bio says that you're all the way from Eric B. and Rakim, all the way over to newer composers. You know, I've seen you on Facebook Live playing, is it Steve Reich or Reich? Reich. Okay, yeah. thanks. Sorry, Reich. I've been saying it wrong all these years. I've never heard him say his name, so I don't know. <laughs> how, did the, how did the two forms of music inform one another for you? Uh... There's always, well, in the Venn diagram, what I care about in the middle is soul and connection. So again, it comes down to the good music. Does it make you feel something? Does it make your hips move? Does it make your, does it engage you? Yeah. And uh, with with high respects, that's, that's what I get. That's why I'm still a part of that band. That's, we're a 22-year-old band, and we're still making new music and having a good time because it feels good to us. Fire you know, away. You know, that's what Blue Ivy said um, in the in the uh, what's that in the homecoming documentary after she got done singing a verse of Lift Every Voice. Mm -hmm. Little Blue Ivy said she wanted to do again because it felt good. And isn't it so important for music to do that? I mean, what music is, especially classical music, what it is is great. But we don't spend enough time talking about what it does for us. You know, mm -hmm. up here at our job, the, the phrase is the power of classical music. Well, we have to actually think about what is the power of classical music. Some pieces of music, man, will really just make me go deep into myself. 
yourself and Same. and have memories. What and, does it for you? You know, well, it, it depends what it is. Just certain aesthetics and also time of the day, or um, mm. um, you know, or or if it's some, let's say I'm listening to one of those Piazzolla um, tangos or something. You know, all that really great music he yep. wrote for the guitar. I'm I'm in the um, I'm in the studio doing a little shimmy overnight sometimes. So so much of the music can do exactly that. It can make you feel something, whether it's makes you dance, make you sad, make you happy, whatever. Um, but we just spend so much time. I'm not I shouldn't say we, but you know, in general, the classical music community and the classical music culture spend so much time paying attention to what the music is, how great this music um, was crafted and how, you know, and all that and not what it does for you, actually. Sure, because there's plenty of pieces that are being written right now that say things and will make you feel things. But yeah. what? It's not on par with Sibelius Five. I mean, do we not put it on as much because we don't we're not familiar with it? Well, and, and that speaks to that. You know, now we're touching on the importance of a curator of of a host, you know, our, our jobs, because if you're listening to Sibelius, you might not necessarily understand what's going on. But if you know a little bit about his culture and, right. um, and about, you know, that's what uh, that's what Lee Koontz was talking about on the last episode, you know, yeah. re- really understanding the cultural implications of this music um, and just kind of having a, a way to to fit it in your mind into your life that is applicable. You know, it can really do something for you. Uh, you, you told me a story one time about Sibelius and uh, walking radar at the lake and seeing some birds. Oh you know, remind me of that again. Yeah, we were at the southern tip of the lake. But it's Lake Phelan, if you ever right. find yourself in Minnesota. Um, it was uh, on a night of a supermoon. I was listening to Sibelius 5, and I actually watched about a half, half a dozen swans land maybe 30 yards from me. One of the most majestic things I've ever seen in my life. And it wasn't in the right spot in the symphony, but that was enough for me to go, I know exactly what he was talking about now. What a beautiful image. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get into some of the, hopefully this next clip is a little unbeautiful. Hopefully y'all got into some trill conversations, right? Oh, I hope. Actually, this is where we pivoted and started talking about past opuses, because as a writer, um, if you get into trouble, they say, write what you know. And what I know is what I have experienced these last several months hosting this podcast with you. So I started asking him questions about things that we've covered. Oh, well, you're welcome. So thank you. And uh, (laughs) uh, I wanted to get into a little bit about code switching and what that means for Devon. Yeah. Devon is a concept. (laughs) Devon, Devon is an aesthetic. He's a vibe. You know, you only know it because you feel it. It's in the room, you know. And I've never seen you present any other way than that, you know, no matter what Mm -hmm. environment we're in. So what what is code switching like for you? I remember switching between, uh, just switching language and how I would speak to people. And that you know, I don't, I don't know when I started doing that. I don't have memories of that. But I remember when I decided to stop doing that. Uh, I must have been in my early twenties. I was like, "There's, there's just so much bullshit coming from within. I, I don't want to have to put up a front or a face when I'm communicating with anyone. So it's everybody's going to get just the one, the one dude." Um, Sorry to all the children and babies in the world that counts for y'all as well. Like I don't, I don't. There's no baby, <laughs> no baby talk. Everybody gets the, the fullness. Yeah. Uh, and same with the music. It's 
there's just the one voice. And I don't care if it's the concert hall or if it's a juke joint, it's all the same. So when you go by Diverge, is that a is that a persona? Is that I a- love when people assume Diverge because I'm I'm not gonna push back against that, but it's just it's my initials, D V R G. Right. Um <laughs> so no it, again it's just it's you just you get what i give you i was listening around the lake today to drone not drones mm-hmm. on your is it soundcloud or your mm-hmm. Bandcamp presence one of the two what is drone not drones um drone not what, drones is an annual fundraiser for doctors without borders that luke hyken puts on at the cedar cedar cultural center and i've been invited to offer us at the last maybe three or four years like 20 minutes worth of uh, i i really couldn't find the one were you just <laughs> were you just sort of riding the cosmic ride, wave riding the cosmic wave yeah uh, uh I, I feel like i've brought a little bit of a different approach to each iteration uh the one consistent thing is i try to try to bring my bassoon to those gigs because bassoon and drone go together in my mind how? Because um, drones can be beautiful and they can be obnoxious. And that's what the bassoon is about, all about. <laughs> can be beautiful, can be wicked obnoxious. Yeah. Um, on Opus 5, Juneteenth, um, one of the things that Garrett touches on quite a bit is that he feels like he needs to bring as much blackness to this music as he can. And at every opportunity, he asserts that. Do you? And what does that sound like from you? Mm -hmm. So far, I'd say, yes, I always bring blackness to the table with me, even though I, I don't want it to be about that. Again, I just want it to be about the music, but I recognize that the world is layered and complicated. Again, because well, so when I was a student, when I was a, a young kid thinking about the dream of being a composer or the dream of being a professional musician, all I cared about was, you know, having an immaculate space somewhere in a cabin near a lake in the woods, and I'd get to do what Mahler did, do what other composers did, just just open up self to the cosmos, and this beautiful music would flow through me from the ancestors just so happens to be that my ancestors is black. So uh, as Jeffrey Mumford has said, I'm black, so every, everything I write is going to be black music. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's, there's not always going to be uh, another layer of subject matter with pieces. Sometimes it's going to be absolute music. Sometimes it's going to be programmatic. Uh, but I also recognize that I have this this soapbox and when I do get to have a, a premiere performance or have space to offer a thing I'm gonna want to say some things or I'm, I'm, if I can't say it with just the music it might be in a program note or it might just be in the uh, other things that are programmed with the piece or maybe I don't know what it will be but no I can't get away from who I am what I am and when I am and yeah, being a, a black composer right now is important to me. Um, a friend of mine is a visual artist, and he said that the worst thing that you could do in this climate right now is put up a display by a white heteronormative male. 
do you find that happening in music in the in the music culture as it is now yep we're still seeing institutions programming like like we're in i don't know 1819 instead of 2019 mm. uh, but you immediately get social media and folks pushing back saying yeah we're gonna pass we don't need any part of your season that's some yeah uh again you're, you're doing everyone a disservice by having the funnel be this one thing who wants just one thing i mean none of us can be satisfied with just one chip i like lots of chips mm -hmm. i like lots of flavor and dead white men from one region of the world that doesn't do enough for me so if you were going to put together a program who would be on it that's a nice question if we're talking about things that i love right now it would be Anna Thorvald's daughter. It would be Ryuichi Sakamoto and Alvin Oto. Nice, nice. It would be Jeffrey Mumford. It would be uh, my dear friends, Jonathan Bailey Holland, Anthony R. Green, great black composers. It would be Nina C. Young. It would be, I mean, there's, there's just so much right now. Ooh, chow, where do we start? <laughs> so much there. I, I'm interested to hear your Ooh. take. First of all, whoever this friend of yours is talking about the worst thing you could do right now is put up an art installation by a, a heteronormative white male. Mm -hmm. He's absolutely right. And, th yeah. and that's a tragedy that has, has been pervasive over the world of art for centuries now. So I actually agree with him. That is the worst thing you can do for him to say that. I would love to meet him and roast him one day. I'm, getting, I'm actually getting a little triggered right now. Do you understand why I would be triggered by that? No. Okay, well, I, I don't like the idea that equity is a bad thing for some people. That, that's, that's what that phrase sounds like to me. When someone says the worst thing you could do is put up an art installation um, as, a, as, a, excuse me, as a white hetero uh, normative man, mm -hmm. what I hear him saying is all of this cultural equity that the arts is experiencing right now is proving to be a dis disadvantage for me, and I don't like that. Oh, mm, mm, mm. Okay, jump down his throat for that. But in the larger context of the conversation, he, he's not having any difficulty putting up shows. That's what I'm saying. He's and still getting grants. So why would he even say something like that? I don't know. Anyway, I just felt like I needed to address that. Great. You've done it. <laughs> <laughs> what else would you like to talk you, about? Wait, I, I'm feeling something from you. So how do, how do you feel about that? Do you, do you think you would be at a disadvantage if you were a composer today? Or any other artist or whatever? That is such a hard question to answer, Garrett. Um, probably not. Now, why is that? Because as even as things are beginning to shift now... As Devon has said, it's not enough. Yeah. And when you go to a concert, he listed off, there was there was two names in that list of composers that he would put out. That's all I recognize. Yeah, yeah. And if you look at the new releases that are coming out, if you look at the, sh the, the concerts that are being given at the major orchestra halls, Haydn, Brahms, and then maybe some Jennifer Higdon, you know, sure. like one of her short ones. Sure. Okay, something like that. It's not, it's not changing very quickly, like he's saying. Yeah. So I think that there's plenty of time for a white heteronormative male to make some bank in art. 
there, yeah, there has been plenty of time, and, and it's still happening, isn't it? Yeah, it is, and we and 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 we need to change it. Okay, I mean, so not, not, and and again, not as an offensive to to folks like that, as much as it's about showing again equity. To, to these folks that, that haven't had the space uh, prior. Let's move it away from classical music just for a second. There are a lot of spaces these days that I've noticed that are women only. Mm-hmm. And a lot of men get upset about that. And I don't see the problem because it's, for me, it's very equitable for there to be um, all um, women's, uh, well, I guess I can't think too far from classical music. You know, all women's ensembles, mm-hmm. or or even if there was a concert there where uh, where women were were only invited into the space because the subject matter um, is women centric and they want the audience to be women centric. You know, that that sort of thing I don't have a problem with. And when you want to uh, turn it over to uh, sexual identity or race or anything, I think an argument can can be made for it. I just I hate the idea that people think that they are at a disadvantage because other um, other genders and, and, and other races and, you know, other communities are beginning to see a little bit uh, more equity in the arts. I don't think that he was making that statement as a ne- negative right, take one. Take up for your friend. Take up for your friend. <laughs> it's one little part. I, I just brought it up because I wanted to see if Devon felt like he was getting... Uh, more or less notoriety based on the fact that he's black. That's that's essentially what I was trying to get at. Sure. And I, and I didn't get there very gracefully, I admit, but we got, we we got an answer anyway. I I enjoyed it. And we, you know, we already talked about music making you feel something and conversation can do the same thing. And I definitely felt something. You did. Right. I'm feeling it it still. And when you're, when you're, (laughs) when you talk about maybe somebody putting up, uh, like, uh, an all woman composer concert or something like that. Sure. I don't feel it's just like same sex marriage. I don't feel like if I was married that all of a sudden my marriage is diminished because somebody else gets to do it. Oh, we're talking, we're getting political now. I did not mention <laughs> one political party. Okay. Okay. Yeah. You want to jump on didn't. me? No, I don't. Stop bullying me. I already told you that. All right. Anyway, I'm stop bullying you right so now. What, starting now. <laughs> so, uh, but what you guys also touched on was, um, you know, the the idea of uh, of what Jeffrey Mumford uh, was saying. That quote, you know, I'm black, so everything I I do is going to be black. Well, of course. And, and I and I think it's an you know, I think that's an important concept for people to understand, you know, perspective in the arts. And I'll give a quick example. When I have to air something by Frederick Delius, I'm probably going to talk about the fact that he was uh, on a ran, ran, ran a plantation, you know, and, and not a not a farm or an orange grove, an orange like, grove. like they like to say, um, because that is a part of my experience to to understand the implications that uh, that uh, American slavery still has today in and outside of the arts. So, yeah, my perspective on that offers listeners a different perspective because that is something that I cannot erase from my periphery. And, you know, we we could go down the list forever, as I'm sure that uh, Devon does when he writes his music. Well, I think that um, really what I was trying to get at is... uh, you assert you you put as much blackness as you can into this music, but you've got a framework that's set out by the institution that you work for. Sure. So it's limited, and I I I really wish that I would have asked him instead. You know, when you are unrestricted, when you are your own boss, what is what you know, uh, uh, what does that sound like? And secondly, um, I think it was important for people to hear him say i cannot separate myself from this yeah so when people were saying don't be so touchy about 
these race issues or gender issues. And he's like, well, uh, how do I how do I separate myself from that right. to, to make you feel more comfortable? And they have separated us out of it for a long time. But that time is up as well. Um, and here we are. Yeah, here we are. So let's listen to the next part and I'll cool down a little. All right. Now, Devon has had some jobs, or at least a job, that wasn't as cool and hip as being all uh, musicians. A, a that's, that's our musician, reality. Right. <laughs> so um, there was a time where he had a regular old nine to five, and it did not agree with his makeup. So y'all talk about that here next. Right. We're okay. talking about uh, the sellout thing where we talked with Peter Collin earlier. Oh, right. Yeah. So... Uh, selling out in favor of, of uh, getting a job that was non-music related in order just to live. All right, yeah, let's hear about that. Uh, so you, you're nocturnal, right? I am, naturally, yes. Yeah, and so this is like first thing in the morning for you then, right? Or did you get up early for this? In theory. <laughs> I would saunter in, you know, after 10, yeah. 10-ish. Um, how did you feel working that nine to five job rather than being full-time as a composer and musician. None of my friends believed me when I told them that the gig felt super corporate, but it really did like the, 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 the structure and the little breakout sessions and meetings and even the, the employee retreats to get us to all function better as a team. I was like, this, how is this any different than the folks down the road at Target? Well, you don't have to wear khaki and red, for one. This is true. I was well-dressed. <laughs> um, but again, but the mission was on point. Like, I love that what we were about is music, music yeah. education, and uh, giving young people, middle-aged people, old people, the, the opportunity to pursue what they want to do with, with music. Uh, you said that you heard the uh, Il Harmonic Opus. I did. That was number eight. Um, and one of the things that the Phoenix talked about was exploring ways to keep this orchestral music alive. Um, and, and they're doing that by reaching out to younger people through different sound. Mm -hmm. Um, how are you reaching out? How are you, how are you grooming the next generation of orchestral composers and musicians? I'm hoping to groom them by helping them to understand that their voice is important, and that it's uh, history is important. So it's always good for us to know from where we came and to know the music that came before us. So I feel like there's a problem in hip hop a lot of times where uh, some generations have grown up listening to hip hop, and they only listen to the hip hop that's from their time and forward. The '90s, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, but that's not often the case with classical folks. If you're if you're in in the classical world, chances are you're gonna come across some Bach and some Beethoven and some mm -hmm. and some Stravinsky. That's just a part of the, the, the way the education is laid out usually. Um, but again, there are gaps, and I'm feeling like it's part of my job to, to bridge some of those gaps to, so that they know about Joseph Bologna de Saint-Georges and Jose White and uh, folks who are having heyday years right now like Florence Price and Julius Eastman. Um. So with your position with the Schubert Club, is there an outreach for the younger set there? Is that part of your plan? There's a really great Schubert Club uh, program called Project Cheer, which just celebrated its 50th, 50th anniversary. And that program was 
uh, founded by Dr. Prentice Harris, who happened to be my first piano teacher. She came out of retirement when I was five years old to take me on as a student because she saw something in me. Mm. Um, so I will have a hand in as much of their offerings as I want. That means I can weigh in and give some tidbits about their board of directors, about the, the museum, or about Project Cheer, um, their, uh, their concert programming. They're really open to any ideas that I have, which is really beautiful. Mm. Or I could be an isolation, isolation, isolationist, an isolationist composer and just be about my own dirty. We shall see. And what would that be? I, uh, my first opera is starting to pull at the heart springs. Uh, heart springs, that's a high respect song. Heart strings. No, I'm using that. I'm coined that. <laughs> So I, I know what my focus is going to be the next few years. Um, so all things are going to be revolved around me getting back to vocal writing and large ensemble concoction. It seems to me like uh, out of all of this music, opera is like the, the staunchest class, you know, the, yep. to, to keep things the way that it is. And that word, know? I don't know that I'll actually end up using that word, opera. Again, it's going to be... It's going to be a spectacle that involves all the arts. That's that's why I like opera, is because it's been theater, dance, visual, visual art, yeah, yeah, and music. Um, and for us now in the 21st century, also multimedia things, uh, visual projections. Um, there's a sound. Yeah, there's a performance of the magic flute that was done with projections. That's hmm. amazing. That the the vocalist just has to kind of stand still. <laughs> well, things happen, right? And then all the projections are done all around them. Yeah, um, the Queen of the Night one has her like it's the the soprano's uh, the face of a spider in this web throwing knives. That you should look it up on Google. Just uh, Queen of the Night projection. I think it was Berlin. Sounds good. Something like that. Um, you know how earlier I was uh, I was telling you that um, I read your pale stale male <laughs> and stale article. Uh, it's time to let the classical. It's time to let classical music die. You posted that it was important reading. That was your one line. What What did it say to you? How did it resonate? Well, we've been we've been witness to this great, I don't know, blending or genre bleeding over the last decade and a half, where pop artists and singer songwriters are collaborating with composers. I feel like, uh, you know, folks like, let me, let me come up with some names, uh, like Bryce Dessner or Nico Muli. Nico Muli, yeah. Are collaborating with, with, you know, Sufjan Stevens. Mm -hmm. And again, taking pop, taking classical idiom and smushing them together. So again, what is that music? Is, how do you label that at the end? Is, is it classical? Is it pop? That's a good question, because Smush made it on a label of one of your compositions that's on SoundCloud. <laughs> that's true. And so what's that mean? What's Smush? Some of this and some of that. <laughs> All the good things smushed together. Your Ice House recording, um, simple song, you started doing some vocalizing. So how much singing do you do? A little bit. I was encouraged by my dear friend Chastity Brown when I was in her band to, to sing, because I was singing backup vocals for her in addition to playing keys. And 
her fans would come up to me after shows and talk about my voice and how they wanted to hear more of it. I was like, all right. Were they cute? Some. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, I, mean, I, I grew up in, uh, in, in, in choirs and choral groups, so singing was always an important part of my music making. Um, and again, I, you know, I love the voice. Mm-hmm. So it's good for a composer to, to flex his own to see, right. to so test things out. To see what you can write, yeah. yeah. Um, I'm really insecure about my voice. Oh, yeah. And so, so my, like on my band projects, when there's nobody looking at me, <laughs> I can do it. But I can't play the guitar and sing at the same time. Um, did you find that that came to pretty easy? I mean, was it was music just hardwired into you when you were born or what? Seems that way. I love that old notion that music comes to you while you're still in the womb and says, I choose you. Well, it must have passed over me <laughs> <laughs> because it is nothing but work, you know. And I, I grew up disconnected from a certain portion of my family. Uh, there was, you know, my mom had an estrangement from her from her father. Uh, so I, I grew up, again, assuming that I was the only musician in the family. But no, lo and behold, there are these phenomenal vocalists and gospel singers in my family mm-hmm. uh, whom I've gotten to know over my uh, adulthood. And I, again, I wish that that gene hadn't skipped over me because I cannot belt out things that would make Jesus weep. I thought that was an excellent point y'all were getting to toward the end there about how music um, chooses you oftentimes, um, even from the womb. And I tell the story all the time about uh, how my mom, I'm the oldest of six, you know, but with me, my mom put on the baby Mozart and put the headphones around her uh, stomach and stuff. Oh, yeah. And, and I, I became a classical musician. And, and that can be some of the challenge of 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 being one of these uh others being a person of color being on the queer spectrum being a woman you know being ha- having those identities in classical music can be a challenge in that it we don't choose it it chooses us despite our identities um and then on top of that we have these issues um to deal with inside uh, of the art form really a, a really poignant uh thing he said there for sure i wanted to make sure we touched back on that Okay, and then of course when you uh, when he's talking about all of the um, all the people who would congratulate him on um, how beautiful his voice sounds, it is something that uh, I I don't think I've mentioned it yet. Uh, listening back, it isn't he does have a very uh, you know very how can I say very metered way of talking a very you know it's yeah. soft to where you can hear and of course you have to ask him if any of the young women were cute because you're always thinking about you know other things <laughs> I think um, I I'm gonna go ahead and, and push back on you a little bit on that please one do, because please do. all right let me ask you this if someone pays you a compliment mm-hmm. on something that you're insecure about do you not all of a sudden go oh oh okay well maybe I can do this do you do that um, assuming that I will be insecure about something yes okay thank you for going there with me step two if this person is someone who is attractive to you do you not think, oh, well, then maybe, maybe this is, uh, maybe she's, maybe he or she is trying to tell me something. Well, you know, you're, you're, you're thinking like men think, but that's another conversation. Um, actually, that's another conversation. Uh, in that moment, <laughs> I was thinking like a graduate student thinks, okay. because there are people who have gotten their degrees doing studies 
on how personal interaction and attraction impacts what they are comfortable taking part in. Touche. Touche. All I'm saying is I don't want you to go for the negative first sure. on, on that assumption. That's all I'm saying. Okay. Well, well, let, well let's translate this little conversation into how it applies uh, to Devon. So, you know, uh, we've been talking about he's composer in residence uh, for the Schubert Club. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure it was a, a unanimous uh, nomination or whatever. It was. And the idea comes up, well, are they interested in me or are they interested in my race? And and again, not to get, chase the rabbit too far off the track, but, but that was my point in the comment, were they cute? You know, th- there's the idea of, well, is this a compliment or is this a compliment to an end? To an end. Okay, you know? I get that. Yeah. I get that, but I stand by it. It was sure. a, a moment between me and Devon. And as I'm sure the Schubert Club, it. as I'm sure the Schubert Club stands by their decision to have a have a black composer in residence. I'm, I'm sure that was a very uh, active thought for them. Yes. And I couldn't think of any other way to bring that up other than to just flat out ask him that. Can I just say I appreciate your um, vulnerability? I'll, I'll, I'll say that. I'm not sitting here trying to bully you, even though you bully me most of the time. I, I know it, and I just feel <laughs> terrible about it. I really do. No, this is this was a vulnerable this is a vulnerable point for me. Yeah, and, and it sounds like it's about to get even more vulnerable. I mean, do you worry about that, that people hire you because you're a black man? Do you, do you worry that mm-hmm. how how much of a role, because Mary Kenton on the, in their press release was very complimentary. And he said that your nomination for that position was unanimous mm-hmm. across everyone on the board. They were really moved by all of your submissions. Is that in the back of your mind? It has to be there a little bit. Uh, but I hope that it always just comes down to, again, just to the music. Mm-hmm. Is the music worthy? Is this person's imagination worthy of the gig? Um, I I have shied away from offers uh, of commissions or performances that happen in February. <laughs> no one's blaming you there. No, that's totally fine. Uh, but I, I still have one on the books, but that's because it's working with high school kids, and that's that's different. Right. Um, and I can be as preachy as I want to be, and they'll just have to groove on it what did you submit to schubert yeah uh a a small snippet from my string quartet which again was one of those soapbox moments i call the piece fractious child and it's uh specifically it was my reaction to the ridiculousness of the police fraternity in this country and being a black man i've the police are the adversary Mm mm-hmm and we get killed, they get away with it. Philando Castile is mentioned in your artist statement. Hmm. Um, my guitar teacher was a few blocks away, so for weeks I was driving by that memorial. <laughs> Did you know Philando? I mean, that guy's, he was on my mind for a solid year every day. I didn't know him personally. Um, People in my family were friends with him. People in my community, my friends were friends with him. But that was for me. That was more of a, a central high school connection and and Rondo connection. So when Central High Jazz Band commissioned me to write a piece, uh, that's that's what was on my heart at the time right. because that's what was in the air. And I remember I was in 
I was in Vienna on my first summer holiday. Took myself away with my unrestricted McKnight funds. <laughs> That's right. You're a McKnight uh, uh, award winner. And I don't know why I allowed or opened myself up to it that particular day, but I finally, you know, went to Facebook or some other platform and and watched the video. Oh, it was because of the uh, the verdict came out that day that yeah. the, that the cop was going to be acquitted, and I was livid. So I finally forced myself to watch the video, and I was in a bar enjoying a beautiful beer, and I then I was crying, and I was in Vienna, and I was alone, and I just wanted to make mm. my way back home as quick as I could to to be around family and friends. In high respects, my band was about to participate in a performance um, raising funds for the Philando Castillo Memorial Scholarship Fund. Mm -hmm. I had already subbed the gig out because I knew I was going to be away, but I just wanted to be in town and with my people. Yeah. So I left Austria, left Europe early, and, and came home. That had to have been a powerful experience to be there. Um, what was going through what what was going through your mind in the moment when you got back? It was it was a beautiful performance. Everybody that was there was there for the engagement of their hearts, and yeah, they were they were smiling faces because we were all just with each other, and we were happy to be honoring the memory. It, it, yeah, it just, I, I got myself to where I needed to be, and that's what felt right. Mm. I got into a little back and forth with some family members on Facebook around that time. Uh, and, and shortly after the election, you know, you remember they were shutting down 94 mm -hmm. with protests, and then they shut down 35 with protests. And I was trying to relay to my niece that, you know, I can't speak to the protests that are happening in Baton Rouge mm -hmm. or... Um, uh, I think there were some in Atlanta. Mm -hmm. I said, I can't speak to those, but I know that here, all of these things go deeper and it's symbolic that they're shutting down these highways because Interstate 94 ripped the Rondo neighborhood right in half. Yeah, and the North Side community as well. Yeah. But the speed limit there is what, 70? That's 55. Yeah, but people go 70. Yeah, they do. Now, Interstate 35 goes through the village of Mendota, mm -hmm. 45 mile an hour speed limit. And I think even down to 30 at one point. And I was trying to relate to her that there's deeper wounds that are felt in this town and they're trying to illustrate that through these protests. And I think there was some success there. It was two or three nights straight, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. And again, you see things blow up on social media and you see people being frustrated because their lives are interrupted. You're and like, these oh, people yeah. feel that all the time. Yeah, fancy that. Yeah. That was some of the big realizations for that Juneteenth episode that I had because of the major, the major revelation for me was that I can walk around virtually anywhere and not feel like I have a, a target on my back. Yeah. Okay, uh, so a white, get, straight male. Getting back to my string quartet. When when I which I wrote when I was I don't know thirty five thirty six, when I was an eighteen year old and 
idealizing what it was to be a classical composer. I just thought you you wrote these beautiful string quartets because you had love and beauty on your heart and in yeah. your mind. But I get to adulthood and I don't get to write a string quartet that's just about beauty and love and rainbows. No, it's, it's real because life is real and it's tragic. Okay, so there is a lot to rehash here. And, and I want to bring something up that Devon said. I'm quoting him. For a black man, the police is the adversary, mm-hmm. period. And a lot of people can't really, especially folks that engage me, you know, from from strictly the classical music or people who have heard me on the radio, they'll follow me on Twitter or whatever, and they'll see me tweet something like that, and they'll have a big problem with that statement. But how how can you, you know? Um, I, I've told the story, maybe I haven't told the story on the podcast, but a police's gun has been to my temple, to the side of my neck, um, more than once. And, you know, thank goddess that that police officer didn't decide to pull the trigger. But, you know, as y'all are, you know, recounting the story of Philando Castile, not all black men and even some black women are lucky enough to, to have a police officer that decides not to shoot you. And... I don't care if you're a composer like Devon, if you were a a school worker like Philando, no matter what you do, that is just a reality that you have to that that you have to deal with. And when he talks about going from Vienna um, back to Minnesota and then the string quartet, he writes and the memorial concert, you know, that is that is the stuff of music, you know, classical and otherwise, you know, the the power of music to really make you feel and to make you um, excuse me, my neck is, my throat is getting tight, to, to make you think and to make you reflect, you know, that, 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 is, that is the power of all of that. And, and there's no separating classical music from it. And, and the quicker that we realize that for classical music to exist in this world, it has to engage some of those conversations, the quicker classical music will be seen as a more equitable institution. It, really powerful words by Devon. Um, I, I appreciate you getting him there, le- leading him to, to that corner of his mind and to his story. I'm pretty sure that you would have w- went and dug deeper into that. But but I don't I'm, know the relationship between Highway 94 and you said 30... 35. 35 or whatever. Right. The police in Mendota going to get you. you yeah, <laughs> you, that's heavily patrolled. Yeah. That, heavily patrolled. And and now and if any of them are listening to this, they're going to be like, all right, well, we need to watch out for Scott because he, he, he's, he's out here uh, letting go of our secrets and all that <laughs> stuff. I don't know. I don't put it past... Look... I understand that there are good individuals who are police officers. My point and what I'm sure Devon's point would be is that the police as a as an institution is is an oppressive institution because what can I you know, I don't think about the police as someone who's going to be there when someone is is kicking down my door or when someone pulls a knife or a gun out on me. You know, maybe maybe 20, 30 minutes later, I think of the police as someone who's going to pull me over because I'm late to work and I'm going five over or I'm walking down the street minding my own business and I look a little suspicious to them. And, you know, so, yeah, yeah, um, I'm I'm trying to understand that. And I know that you probably would have went deeper with him there and I didn't feel qualified. I didn't feel like but but let me uh, let me also say that I appreciate your acknowledging that these conversations are one are ones that you've had with your family and have you know have gotten yes. pushed back there and, and yes. that sort of thing you know that's that's how change and that's how equity happens when we really face these issues where we have to deal with them and a lot of people black white and otherwise have family members who 
who we need to have these conversations with. And, and there's only one family member of mine that's sure. listened to this podcast. And and if and 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 shout out to them. Yeah. <laughs> and if if not, you know the 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 issues with the police. You know, maybe when it comes to um, trans issues that people are still. Uh, challenged with or, or, or whatever it is you know we we really have to open up ourselves to these uh conversations i, I don't mean to babble for for too long here but well we have devon one was devon yeah. was hitting on some stuff there yeah i think it might be interesting after he's had like a year under his belt at the schubert club if we invite him back and have you conduct the interview and see how yeah different it is all right well there's there's one more um non-a section of this rondo uh for us to listen to so let's so let's jump in I'm curious about how you feel in the concert hall, in the house versus on stage. Do you feel welcome? Do you feel like, do you feel like it's a space that you're accepted in? Hmm. Okay. Well, again, I grew up, I was born and raised in Minnesota, grew up playing in youth orchestras and concert bands and jazz ensembles and going to concerts of the St. Paul Chamber Orchestra and Minnesota Orchestra and all of our great community orchestras. And I I was uncomfortable at first being the the one speck of black pepper in, in the bowl of milk. But but at some point that just became muted and I just understood that, okay, well, I'm here for the music and clearly everyone else here is here for the music. But again, uh, yeah. So there's so there's comfort. But now, after you know, thirty years of that experience, when I take friends to the orchestra for the first time or to the opera, and it's their first experience in that in that situation, I get to relive it through their eyes and their discomfort mm. when the people in front of them or behind them are. <clears throat> when they're making a little too much noise or they're asking me questions during and I'm just like, you guys just need to chill the hell out. <laughs> We're all here for the music. You're not, your, your experience isn't being interrupted mm-hmm. by my friend asking me a question about what's going on right now. Uh, but, and again, I don't know why they're uncomfortable. Is it because we're black or is it because we're really just pulling them out of the Beethoven vibe at that moment? I'm like, first of all, you need to work on your own personal meditation and your own, uh, concert going experience because if you're here for the music then just be here for the music and stop worrying about who's around you uh, on the stage I've always felt comfortable I've always felt supported I I don't have any bad memories of anybody being overtly bigoted or racist or bringing any sort of into the concert hall mm. again I hope they bring that Energy that I learned from Sun Ra, where you, when you enter the concert space, you leave all the at the door. You come here for this experience. Otherwise, if you're a full cup, you're not going to get anything out of this. Right. Here's here's my issue. I don't know if I'm just so obtuse that I'm oblivious to the problems that people of color and people of uh, the LGBTQ community face. (laughs) I don't know if I'm that, but I thought we were past this. And I figured if there was one spot where you would, where where somebody would go, oh, this it's great to see you here. It would be in the concert hall. You know, I thought it was for everybody. And to hear, 
you know, week after week, these interviews of, uh, of people talking about how they feel marginalized or I, I just think I, I thought we were beyond this. It's still these hallowed classical institutions holding on to their roots and remembering that they were, you know, it was court music. That mm-hmm. it was music for the aristocracy. That it was music for the elevated folk. Yeah, but that was centuries ago. When are y'all going to f***ing let that go? The music is for us all. All this art is for us all. There, there are no divisions. They're not real. We can put up all sorts of walls. We can put up all sorts of barriers, but no. The music will penetrate. The art will penetrate if it's good and if there's real soul in it. Mm. And I love that institutions like orchestras and opera companies are trying to branch out and perform in another in other venues other than concert Alter halls. Spaces, yeah. Totally fine, totally fair. Go to the community if the community's been uh, disenfranchised or felt that they weren't welcome in your spaces. That's a great first step. But again, if you're just coming to the north side and playing Beethoven, don't. Yeah, because how does that interest anybody who's going to be listening to the music? Yeah. And if you're bringing your tokenized black conductor to the north side to, to bring us a program of Beethoven, don't. If you're bringing your black conductor to Cuba or to South Africa to play some Beethoven, don't. Just just stay home. We don't need you. We'll we'll find our way there some other way. The music will the music will get to us. So we don't need you to, to bring your your politics with you. You've been really generous with your time this afternoon. I want to ask you one last question here before we wrap. Yeah. Um, your position with the Schubert Club starts September. September, mm-hmm. day one, task one. My first hundred days. What's what's your first hundred <laughs> days like? Uh, something that I've been cultivating over the last year, uh, so far with just with with friends and peers in my. My in my middle age group, um, I've been hosting c- composer salons where we come together in one of my spaces or in someone else's friendly space, and you know, sort of modeled after. Um, I think it's uh, maybe it's Patty Griffin who has like a, a singer songwriter circle that's been meeting every Sunday for years and years. Huh. We come together. And if, if we're not hungry, we just get right to work and everybody has their little space and they do their work. And then we come together and we can talk about things. If people want to talk about things, what, what were you working on? How did it go? How's it feeling emotionally? Mm-hmm. What are some barriers or what are, what's some joy you just encountered? And then after that, we do some listening and then we just chop it up. You know, what's been good? What's been motivating to you? So I want to take that and expand on that and absolutely include younger composers, high school age, middle school, however young they may come to us. Um, and Schubert Club is absolutely excited about that that idea. They have some some listening uh, programming that, that they've been um, fostering over the last few seasons. Mm-hmm. So it may piggyback on that or it may be its, its own entity. Um, but again, just bringing creative folks who have a passion for for music, for music creation, for composition, and 
Yeah, just having a, a, a share space that's open to all and where we explore everything, where we explore non-binary composers and women composers and black and brown composers and all of the marginalized folks that we need to be hearing more from. Do you have anything in the can right now ready to go? I've always got things in the can. Uh, I've got long lists of things that we all need to hear, and I've got long lists of, uh, of things that we all need to explore. So this is a two-year appointment. We're going to have plenty of opportunities to hear you live and in person here in the Twin Cities in the two, next two years. Yes. Devon, man, thanks so much for going live on, the, on tape. Thanks for the invitation. I said that before, but I really mean that. All right, so we're already uh, been running longer than we usually do for these opuses of Triloquy, but there was a lot to explore in this rondo. First of all, shout out to your uh, refrigerator for kicking on there at the end. It was acting so good. Yeah, it always... Your beer lab fridge. It never works when I want it to, only when I don't want it to. That's how most things in this world work. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) Secondly, um, yeah, just... So some of the things he said, I'm going to go back and listen to this a couple more times, I think. You know, Scott, some of the things you pulled out of him, some of those conversations were so poignant. So uh, so thank you for, for taking care of this. I, I thought it was really great. Thank you for handing off the reins for an opus. Sure. I appreciate it. But, you know, I look at it and, you know, to anybody who is listening to this and wondering how to engage, you got to start somewhere. So if it's awkward at first, so is your first music lesson. So is your first time when you go to the gym. You know, you're going to feel awkward and you're going to feel sore afterward. But with time, these conversations will get more cohesive and more meaningful. So toward the beginning uh, of this conversation, uh, Devon mentioned that he... Uh, was trained at the uh, New England Conservatory, NEC. So on the next Opus of Triloquy, um, I talk with a current student at NEC, and he has already decided that once he graduates, he's going to move away from the world of classical music for many of the reasons that Devon explores um, in in this opus. So I think it'll be really cool to get sort of a similar um, perspective just based uh, over time. Devon studied bassoon. Uh, David Norville, who you'll hear from next time, he studies oboe at NEC. So a double reed connection there, a school connection. And um, and you're really going to find it interesting what this 20 year old has already decided for his life. I I was very impressed by him. Scott, you were impressed by him after listening back to the interview. So that's going to be next time on Triloquy. And remember that our website is live. It's T-R-I-L-L-O-Q-U-Y dot org.